0: Welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. Five years ago, I decided that I would forgo the marathon and just go right for the ultra marathon, which is anything over 26.3 miles. Here's the thing: the idea of running 26.2 miles on pavement made me want to eat shards of glass as a preferred task, okay? So I decided to skip the marathon, and which is the gold standard of running, and decided to one-up it by six miles and become an ultra runner. Ha! And I found that the 50K, 31 miles, is sort of my sweet spot in terms of running. I can chill out during the first half and pass the fools who started too fast uh, in the second half. This episode comes in three parts, mainly because my first three ultras were epic slop fests. So here comes part one. This was November of twenty fourteen at the Wild Hare, which is in outside of Lagrange, Texas. Yes, it's that song by ZZ Top. Um, so when I decided to run my first ultra marathon, I tried to pick a safe choice, one that isn't marked by mercilessly steep climbs and boulders. So I picked the Wild Hare, which is held on some flattish ranch land and has a handful of doable hills and lots of switchbacks and i'd spent a long summer on hot humid training runs that made me occasionally throw up afterward because of dehydration or poor nutrition occasionally i doubted myself as to whether i was really cut out for this business but despite all of that after 16 weeks i felt ready then came the weather forecast 100 percent chance of rain thunderstorms possible hail and tornadoes i made sure to pack extra clothes and shoes because i was going to need them Most of the runners who populate the Tejas Trails races are within a few hours drive. But for those of us in what I call way south Texas, it's always a six hour or more drive to get there. So I went up early with Robert and Tammy Rivera who were doing their first Wild Hair 25K. And we were all staying at the same hotel and I wanted to settle in a little before the the race. And my roommates, Orly and Norma, decided to drive up after work. They left around 4.30, and after 11.30 p.m., the door burst open and Orly announced, Wake up, Donna! I kind of expected this. I'd been lightly dozing, knowing they would make a loud arrival. (laughs) And within minutes, our conversations devolved into something that would delight a pack of middle school boys. Too many curse words, poop and fart jokes, and uproarious laughter. In other words, our usual pre-race behavior. And after the lights went out, there were a few more waves of giggles, and we finally fell silent around 1 a.m. The alarm sounded at 4.15 a.m. I was going to run 31 miles on three hours of sleep. This was not the start I'd really hoped for. Oh, and did I mention that I was in the nose-blowing stage of a cold? I prayed I'd be able to breathe. So we showered, sort of a pre-race ritual, got dressed, packed up our stuff, and headed to Bluff Creek Ranch, the race venue. And I tossed my drop bag, a bag with changes of clothes, shoes, socks, and other stuff under the group's canopy, and put on my headlamp. I giggled when I overheard race director Joe Prusadis describing the upcoming terrain to someone. The first three miles are this twisty-turny mountain bike shit. For the 50 cares, we would experience that twisty-turny stuff four times during our four 7.8 mile loops. Crusaders hollered that there was five minutes left until the start, so we all queued up inside the horse barn. I ventured off toward the back of the pack, not wanting to get trampled by the speedsters. I wished Orly and Norma good luck and felt a wave of emotion as I heard, five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to become an ultra runner today. We jogged out past the ranch house and over a cattle guard. Step on the boards, people! Crusadus yelled as we passed. I was impressed by how quickly he'd already made it over there after calling our start. The headlamps created a fantastical experience as bits of light wove large sideways S's in the dark. And then the group thinned out and I stuck behind a group of folks wearing team red, white, and blue shirts, indicating that they are either veterans or people who support the Wounded Warriors Project. I am a supporter as well. The leader was particularly helpful as he shouted out root, mud, hole, as he came upon potential impediments, and I quietly hung behind them, and then their pace got a little too fast for me, so I settled into my own rhythm, feet slapping the sticky mud. And I finished the first loop in an hour and 50 minutes, which was about eight minutes slower than last year's first loop of the 25k, but I was good with that, because I planned to finish in about eight hours or about two hours per loop. And I tossed my headlamp next to my drop bag, hit the porta potty and headed back out. It was humid and somewhere between 65 and 70 degrees by this time, and the skies were brightening and the clouds looked feathery and harmless. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Maybe the rain would miss us. And things were going pretty well until right before I hit the aid station three and a half miles into the loop, I heard the rumble of thunder and noticed that the clouds were starting to thicken. Much of this part of the trail is covered by a canopy of trees, and, it, and the ground's covered in pine needles, and hopefully the rain wouldn't penetrate the canopy. The second half of the loop is kind of gnarly. It's winding, elevated embankments, and they twist sharply as you descend. And because the course is shared with mountain bikers, there are some ratty carpets that are used to help with traction, but the only problem is, is when they're covered in mud, they're useless. And I made this discovery the hard way when my feet slipped under me. I crouched into a skiing position and slid down the mud-slick carpet. Hey, at least I didn't fall. And I finished the second loop in about two hours. My feet and shirt were wet from the rain, and so I changed my shirt and shoes. Sammy, one of my friends who wasn't running, was under the canopy and helped me switch out my shoes and socks. She cleaned and dried my feet as I shoveled in a half a sandwich made with peanut butter and Nutella. It really helped. And she lubed up my feet with Vaseline. I put on fresh socks and my older Innovates and got ready to head back out and she recommended that I wear a cap with a visor in case of the impending rain almost immediately i regretted switching to my old shoes i started feeling pain in my hips and knees indicating that the cushioning had broken down worse the weather was getting pretty heavy and by the time i made it to the gnarly section i happened upon a guy who was standing at the base of a hill i asked if he was okay he said he had someone pull him up the last time he came through and I encouraged him to get a stick or something to use for leverage, but he wasn't buying it. Instead, he kept talking about wanting to get a rope to lash to one of the nearby trees at the top of the hill so he could pull himself up. Meanwhile, others were suggesting taking the higher part of the trail to get through, and I tried this and succeeded. Hey! Hey! Try this! I yelled to the trail Don Quixote. He ignored me and just kept staring at the hill. I gave up and continued. About a quarter of a mile later, I happened upon a guy covered in mud. Seems he'd slid down the adjacent hill from Don Quixote under the electric cattle wire and lived to tell about it. Don Quixote, by the way, was still looking at the hill in an attempt to navigate it. The muddy guy's name was John, and he was from Lake Charles, Louisiana. We got to talking a bit and laughed about Don Quixote's seemingly ridiculous quest. It was his first ultra, but lucky for him, he was on his last loop. Just ahead, I saw Crusaders decked out in rain gear. He was tying a rope to some trees on the higher ground of the trail so we could grab it instead of sliding, and after that, the trail became a mudfest. I was in muddy water up to my ankles and shins, and I just tried to run as much as I could, but it was just ugly. The funny part is I was really starting to enjoy myself. It became more of an adventure and less of a race, and mentally I needed this. As I hit the roller coaster section of the trail, I came across a guy who was running the 50-miler, and he was upset about the Lightning and that the race hadn't been called. I didn't want the race to be called until I could claim my ultra-runner status, I told him. I have four kids. I'm a paramedic. I know what Lightning does to people, he said. I'm not sure I want to spend four more hours out here in this. And while I empathized with his feelings, I just wanted to finish up my next loop. I didn't come this far to not finish. As I finished the third loop, this time a little more than two and a half hours, I was cold. Tammy, a school nurse, was under the canopy and noted that my lips were blue. I figured as much and asked if she had any ibuprofen or pain reliever and then dug out my tights, a dry sports bra and a dry long sleeve shirt. I quickly changed in a restroom of the horse barn. And when I came out, I noticed that the timing mat was there and I was worried I might get disqualified if I crossed it again too soon. And so I asked one of the volunteers and he assured me I'd be okay. It's my first ultra, and I don't want to be disqualified, I said. And when I got back under the canopy, Tammy had placed three Aleve tablets in the cap of the bottle, just like a school nurse. Robert had retrieved my Red Bull from the cooler and had it waiting. I changed out my socks and put on my new Trail Rock 255s, which I'd worn the first two loops. I inhaled another peanut butter and Nutella half sandwich. Uh, Sammy asked if I had a rain jacket. Well, yeah, I did. Oh except it was in Orly's truck, which was locked. Bad idea. Tammy, the saint that she is, offered me her Columbia waterproof raincoat, and I accepted it graciously. And by this time, the conga line on the trail was gone. There were just a few of us left out there, especially slowpoke 50Kers like me. And I really didn't care that I was gonna come in slower than expected. I was just happy to feel great and be able to run. And when I hit the first aid station for the last time, I was offered a Dixie cup full of baked potato. You have no idea how heavenly that was. And when my Garmin showed 26.3 miles, I let out a whoop in the woods. I was 7 hours and 49 minutes into my adventure, and I still had about 5 miles to go. The rain was still coming down in torrents, and lightning flashed. And by this point, some of the trail was washed out and I gingerly stepped on a muddy embankment and slid butt first downhill. (laughs) I fretted about messing up Tammy's jacket and hoped the torrential rains would clean off the mud before I finished. Hilariously, a woman complimented my tights, mud covered and all. And then I turned around and saw Ben who was doing the 50 miler and it was really good to see a familiar face. As I made my final round through roller coasters, I started getting emotional and thinking about my parents who passed away long before I became a runner. I think my dad would have been particularly proud of me because I'd finally outgrown the awkward, unathletic person I was when I was younger, then I ran out of the woods and into a clearing toward the horse barn. A few random people were standing outside and cheered me on. I saw Robert and Tammy. I'm sorry about your jacket, I yelled to her. (laughs) Robert grabbed some shots, and I ran ahead to tag the mat for the last time. It took me 9 hours and 14 minutes, way beyond what I'd planned, but it didn't matter. I was an ultra-runner. Part 2. Bandera 50K. Scene. 5 a.m. January 10, 2015. A cozy one-bedroom cottage has turned into a bunkhouse for a group of eight, most of whom would be venturing out to run 31 to 62 miles that day and Ben snapped on the big screen TV. Off to the left of Bandera, where we were, an ominous blue mass appeared to be creeping eastward. The dire predictions of near freezing temperatures and a wintry mix seemed to be coming true. Everyone's faces became somber. And then we did what we planned to do, get ready and run our race. And we were all nervous and scared, but for me, this phrase came to mind. Vivir con miedo es como vivir a medias. To live your life in fear is a life half-lived. It's not unusual for people to sign up for races and then decide not to show up. I mean, I've done it before, mainly because of conflicts with work or my training schedule. And on Saturday, almost 200 of the more than 900 people who signed up for the trail races at Bandera didn't show. And another 100 didn't finish the race they set out to conquer and the remainder covered 25k, 50k, and 100k, from anywhere just under two hours, 25k, to two minutes shy of 24 hours, the 100k. My joke going into the weekend was to open up the closet, pull out everything, and fit whatever was in the bag that I was taking. But seriously, I brought more wardrobe changes than share. For the race, I wore two pairs of tights, one full length under Capri's, then a sleeveless short sleeved and long sleeve tech shirts, a pair of N'jinji trail socks with a pair of smart wool socks over them. And I had a buff, this thing that you can use as a bandana to a neck gaiter. I had my snow hat. On top, I had a waterproof rain jacket. The key was to stay warm and dry without the bulk. I had two changes of clothes, por si acaso, just in case. If I needed shoes, dry clothes or a special snack, it was packed in my drop bag left at the aid station at mile 21.6. I even had a bag with a change of clothes for after the race in case I had to hang around the finish line to wait for friends. And when we got to the park runners were dressed for all four seasons. There were the hardy types in shorts and short sleeve tops. Others were dressed more or less like me and there were some in giant coats and pants and then there were people wearing clear plastic ponchos over their clothes. The last two groups worried me all that bulk was going to get hot. Light icy rain was falling coating the vegetation in a glassy sheen and I was hoping the rocks would not be glossed over or as one person called it like Crisco on glass. (laughs) The odd thing about the Bandera race is that while everyone starts at the same time each distance starts at a different spot so we 50 kers had to hike up the trail about a half mile until Olga King, a legendary ultra runner and bonafide badass of the trails counted us down to the 7:30 a.m start and before the start I ran into my friend Chris who had upgraded from the 25k to the 50k we agreed to hang together as this was his first trail race and ultra boy like I really knew how to size up <laughs> that unfortunately lasted about 15 minutes because I'm slow to warm up and I told him just to keep going and I would hopefully catch him and not long after Chris took off, I met a guy in a track suit who was moving at my pace. He explained that he was doing this because his wife wants him in better shape. And we were hardly a half mile into the race when he announced that I would be his pacer. What? I didn't agree to this. And then he went on about how he liked my pace and would keep me in his sights for the next 30 miles. Oh, and he added, you look like you're in great shape. I was not flattered. I was creeped out, and I didn't like the idea of this strange dude staring at my lycra-clad butt all day. So not long after, I stepped off the trail to tie my shoe, and he waited by me. Oh, go ahead. I'll I'll catch up to you, I said as convincingly as I could, and there was no way I wanted this guy glomming onto me, and I'd had a very bad experience with a guy I called Dick, the trail gadfly, a couple of years ago, and I did not want to be dealing with that again. As always, when you're the slow guy, you end up stepping off the trail to let the faster ones pass. The problem is, is you end up standing there for a long while as the conga line shuffles down the single track. And it wasn't too long before the super fast 25K sneaked up behind me. And the first one got right behind me and yelled, trail! I jumped and shrieked, stepping off the path. And this went on for a while until things thinned out. By mile seven, the skies opened up and began pelting me with ice. The temperatures were around 30 degrees. I got worried, but I kept going, but it just did very little to improve my mood. Normally, I have songs stuck in my head, weird crap from childhood, my college years, and whatever else is on the playlist in my mind. Motto, it's a 24-hour party up there, in my head. It's how I entertain myself, but this time, I was reflecting on the one part of my life that has bedeviled me for more than two years. I'm embarrassed to say that I would had zero luck with guys since I broke up with my ex in September 2012, and I've easily had a half dozen or so close I was sure it was going to happen experiences, only to have them snapped away, much like Lucy snatching the football away from Charlie Brown. And I didn't want to turn this into a pity party, except that for someone who feels like she has it pretty much together in almost all aspects of her life, it seems like that's the one thing I can't seem to do right. It's sort of like how I could have a 4.0 GPA my sophomore year in high school. Was a member of National Honor Society, a cheerleader, and a member of the drama club, but I couldn't pass my driver's test. Mercifully, nobody was around because I started to tear up, and then the tears became weeping. I can only imagine how hilarious I must have looked. woman running on one of the most beautiful trails in the country, and she's crying. I cried it out for about a mile, and then I knew I just needed to pull it together. And it was then why, that I realized why I do these long, grueling races. It proves that I can do things that not everyone else can do. Just because someone doesn't choose you doesn't mean that you're a failure. Even if love and romance come easily for most people, and not all of them can do a lot of the things that I can do. And I remember my mom when she was on her deathbed, and I apologized because I hadn't had kids or stayed married. Her response Oh honey, anyone can get married and have kids. What you have done with your life is extraordinary and I'm so proud of you. There, all better. I had no idea that there were so many types of mud in the world, or at least at Bandera. The hell of this race was the mud. It sucked on your shoes. It caked to the point that you felt like you were snowshoeing. And this was a constant menace trying to run with 10 pound weights on your feet Kicking or scraping it off was a futile effort as your shoes would get loaded up a few minutes later. And sometimes the mud was the consistency of cake batter, which made your feet splay like Bambi on ice. You either had to tiptoe carefully or attempt to speed skate. The mud added a new dimension of misery and challenge to an already complex course. There's t- 2,000 feet of elevation gain, and there's a lot of rocks in Sotol, this scissor-sharp plant with serrated leaves that can slice you without knowing it. And these aspects of the course became almost welcome compared to the mud. In the don't-knock-it-until-you-try-it experience, I discovered that pouring ramen broth over mashed potatoes is one of the most delicious things you can consume during a long, freezing-cold race. And even though I was eating a gel here or a chew there, I needed something warm to keep me going. And when one of the aid station volunteers suggested it, I was wary. But then I tasted it. I had to have this at every aid station. Oh, and a triangle of a quesadilla was like tasting gold inside of a warm tortilla. The guy who wanted to use me as his pacer aside, most of the people I met were nice and they were fun to chat with. And when I came into the Crossroads aid station at mile 21.6, I saw a young woman standing there. I figured I was the only 50K person around for miles, so I figured she was doing the 100. As it turned out, she was doing the 50K too. And I felt a sense of relief and wished her luck. A few miles later, I spotted her and a couple of guys hiking up a hill. I caught up to them. Her name was Jill, and she's an insurance underwriter from Fort Wayne, Indiana. How serendipitous that I would meet a fellow Midwesterner. I was born in Ohio. And she was pleasant and easygoing. And her companions, it turned out, <laughs> live in McAllen, which is where I live, t- technically. And I told him my first name. Are you Donna Pazdera? One of them asked. Yeah. They knew me through my post on the Rio Grande Valley Trail Runners Group page on Facebook. Turns out they're both from Mexico. Andres from Chihuahua. Alex Sapo is from Monterrey. And it was like being among instant friends. The guys are seasoned Ironmen and admitted they hadn't trained enough for this race. We hiked and joked and talked for the remaining miles. Well, Sapo took off around mile 29, wanting to run it in. I was heartened that the trail was flattening out and told Jill and Andres that I would run for a while. Lucky Peak is this nightmare of a climb at mile 30. It's rocky and slippery and seems to go on endlessly, and then when you get to the top, you get to descend in a similar manner. I silently congratulated Joe Prusadis, the race director, for setting up the course this way. Just when you're tired as hell, let's just throw in one more climb and descent so you can say you did it. After this, I tried my best to run it, and my finishing time was past 10 hours, easily an hour more than I'd planned, and I speed skated as much as I could. Finally, I made the turn out of the woods and into the chute. I could see the red light of the race clock, 10.32. Ugh, that was not what I'd hoped for, but given the conditions, I graciously accepted it. Good job, runner! A handful of strangers called out to me as I tagged the mat. A couple of guys materialized. One gave me my finisher, finisher's medal, and the other one removed my ankle bracelet-like timing chip. It was a good job. I was very happy that I never considered quitting and conquered yet another ultra, my second. And it was not a fluke, so now I have some great stories to tell. And after all, it's all about the stories. How are you going to have an interesting life if you color inside the lines? Final part, part three. March... 2015. I ran, and I use that term loosely, my third ultra marathon. It was the most mentally challenging one I've done to date. I thought about quitting during the first loop. I wanted to drop after the second, but I went out for a third. And if you do the third, well, you may as well finish what you started. And that's kind of how it went in a nutshell. Oh, and because I have yet to run a normal ultra, this was. A combination of epic rain of the first one, the mud of the second one, and some extra credit weirdness thrown in just to make it fun. At least there's no lightning nor freezing temperatures. And in the process, I set a PR. Not a most stellar time, but a PR nonetheless. So let's start at the beginning. The race, known by the Cognoscenti as the MF, short for Mesquite Fire, was held at the Mission Hike and Bike Trails, otherwise known as the RGB Trail Runners Playground. For the Sane, there was a 10K. For the sort of crazy, a 25K. And for people who are beyond help, a 50K. The race sold out with 45 10Ks, 55 25Ks, and 150Ks, respectively. Let me just tell you something. This is the first time the Rio Grande Valley ever had an ultra marathon, and this remains the valley's only ultra marathon. So this was pretty incredible that people were able to or the people just wanted to, you know, take it on, and I think they probably uh, got a little more than they expected. So before 6, 6 a.m., we huddled under the covered area of the, in the center of the parking lot, and rain pounded on the roof. The 50K runners, headlamps blazing, got ready to take off. When the signal to go came, we all began trotting forward. One of my new water bottles, this clear contraption, which resembles what I imagine would look like a silicone breast implant, tumbled out of my vest. I quickly grabbed it and secured it tighter in the front pocket. I hope this wasn't gonna become a continuing problem. And the bottle hit Tanya's foot and she was my main training companion for this race. And she was tackling her first ultra. We hung together until the pavement turned into a single track part of the trail. I was about four plus miles in and I started feeling a tightness in my left Achilles tendon. And I'd been having some trouble on the right side but this was the first time I'd felt it on the left and doubt began seeping into my mind. You don't want to hurt yourself and then ruin your running future. The trail was sticky with mud, but not too bad. We were running the entire time. And this also started to worry me because my previous races were manageable because I could stop and walk through the tough spots. I kept wondering how I was going to feel running most of the time. Soon, I was running next to an older man from Reynosa who only spoke Spanish, and I later learned that his name was Mario Aquiro. He's 70 years old, and he and I had a small conversation with my craptastic Spanish. We were at least attempting to support each other. And at the mid-loop aid station, my friend Robert Rivera greeted me with, hey, there's Ultra Woman or something along those lines. I certainly wasn't feeling very ultra at this point. I told him about my Achilles issue and I said I might drop after the next loop. He looked disappointed. I finished the first 7.75 mile loop in 146, not especially stellar, but pretty much how I usually do. So I cracked open a can of cranberry Red Bull from the drop bag and took a therapeutic dose of ibuprofen. My friend Jeff, who was our university's registrar, happened to be ready to head out for his second loop of his first ultra. Do you want me to wait so we can start together? He asked. Yeah, give me a minute. I swallowed the pills and we headed out together. I was feeling better and slightly emboldened by having a buddy along with me. And this continued for about a half mile or so when I realized I'd forgotten to take in a gel at the loop finish. I told Jeff I'd try to catch up to him later, and I ingested a Honey Stinger Fruit Smoothie Gel, which are one of my favorites. And by this point, I met a couple of guys who were in my university's ROTC. They told me that they had run the Edinburgh 10K a few weeks prior, and that that was the longest run they'd ever been on. And now they were attempting a 50K. I told them they had my permission to drop to the 25K after this loop if they felt bad. They appreciated my advice. The trail was getting muddier as rain continued to fall, and I was having flashbacks of Banderas, my shoes caked with globs of mud. It was futile to try to remove the clumps because you'd only get more on them a little bit later, and when I saw Robert at the aid station this time, he encouraged me to keep at it. It's hard to keep going when your friends are already done and happy because they've chosen the shorter distance, Robert Ruiz, a good friend and one of the race directors, told me that people were already dropping from the 50k to the 25k. He asked how I felt. Even though I was tempted to stop, I told him I was doing better. One of my BFFs, Norma, looked at me suspiciously as I took off my vest. I'm just changing shirts, I told her. Ben Martinez, one of my original running buddies, warned me not to linger too long or I'd get cold. I just changed my shirt, so I'm good at least for one more loop. And in my mind, I planned to drop after the third loop. I had little to prove with the Mudfest Ultra, as I'd already done two of them. And if anyone deserves credit for pushing me to finish this race, I give it to my ROTC buddies, Agustin Munoz and Leo Rodriguez. I ran into them again at the beginning of the third loop, and I asked how they were doing. Rodriguez said his knee was locking up. I offered him one of my Roctane caps, something with sodium and ginseng, and he took it. And not long after, he said he felt better. And then I told him I planned to drop after this loop. Rodriguez told me they were gonna persevere. I wanna earn that medal, ma'am, Rodriguez said. I started thinking, if these guys can gut it out, so can I, and then I made my decision. If you guys do it, so will I. Rodriguez continued on, not wanting to get lapped by his commander. Munoz hung with me while I asked him about his program. A mile or so later, he continued on, meeting up with his commander and Rodriguez. I met a trio of ladies from Harlingen who were doing their first ultra and they were dead set on finishing. They were walking the whole time. They encouraged me to hang with them because they planned to finish in eight hours. My goal of seven hours was becoming elusive. Mud was getting caked on my shoes like 10 pound weights, impossible to kick off. And at the first aid station, I was offered a quesadilla slice and a Coke. Yes, please. And then my friend Mario Rodriguez saw me and I explained my plight. and. He said I didn't have to continue if I wasn't having fun. I thought about it hard. I took his advice with a grain of salt or a Coke. <laughs> anyway, by this point, it had started raining steadily. I hit the second part of the loop and realized that running was a stupid idea. I attempted to run through one section that seemed flat and bordered by tall grass, I slipped and fell twice, and as I hit the ground my water bottle comically bounced from my pack and landed in the weeds. I tried looking for it, but realized this was futile. So much for that. I came in for my third loop and decided if Rodriguez and Munoz could slog through this mess, I could too. So I pulled off my shoes and socks and grabbed a dry pair of Nginjis. Carlos, another friend, offered me Vaseline and a paper towel, which I used to dry my feet and lubricate them. I grabbed a hat, my raincoat for my drop bag, and headed right back out to the biggest mess yet. The trail had turned into a river of mud. It was like wild hair all over again, minus the lightning. I was ankle-deep in muddy water for most of the first half of the loop, and then I just started laughing. It was just better than complaining, and when we hit the first aid station, I had another quesadilla, Selinda, one of the volunteers, offered me some sausage. I was reluctant, but tried it, and it was heavenly. And I saw Jesse, who's a good friend and race organizer, and I could he- hear him telling his crew that the second section of the course had devolved into a mud pit. And the volunteers glanced at me anxiously, as I wasn't supposed to hear that. The mud is just horrible, I said, stating the obvious. Yeah, well, just get out there and finish it, Jesse said. Okay, sir. I bounded over the cattle guard and onto the trail for one last time. I saw a woman up ahead who was leaping up and down in a puddle for Umberto, one of the photographers. I begged him to let me do the same. (laughs) There's really no other way to describe the trail at this point but as slop. The rain began to taper and I spotted my dear friends Javi and Luisa coming out of the section from their third loop. Both were wielding sticks. And this was their first ultra. And they had this look of stern determination on their faces. I warned them about the mud river on the other side. And I tried to run as much as I could, but I had to keep stopping because I was slipping around. At one point, I hit a little grade that was slick with mud, and I had to use my hands to get up it. Ugh, it was ugly. And by now, everything was caked with mud. When I got to Robert's aid station, Mario poured water on my hands, and David gave me encouragement and congratulations. I'm going to finish my third ultramarathon. It took me 8 hours and 51 minutes to complete the race. I was proud that I stuck through it. I could hear people cheering for me as I neared the finish. I smiled. Orly, my frequent running and traveling companion, waited until I came in and shot video of me crossing the finish line. Rob Ruiz high-fived me and handed me my medal. The race taught me that you really do need to push harder when you want to quit. Quitting's easy and feels good. Persevering for hours and hours in dreadful conditions is what being an ultra runner is all about. And if it was easy or fast, everyone would do it. And I'm proud that I didn't give up. So currently I am about a month away from, God, I don't even remember how many 50Ks I've done, but I'm going to say probably about my dozenth. I really do. I I never DNF'd uh, a 50K wood. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just because I have it in my mind. No, you're not going to DNF this thing. I mean, unless of course I break something or, you know, whatever, but God help us. But this one's going to be the Taco Loco, which is a trail racing over Texas race. Um, It's the first time they've done it. It's uh, south of San Antonio. And uh, race director Rob Goyens has got 100k, 50k, 25k, 10k, I think, and it's held at this uh, place called the Land Heritage Institute, which is a piece of private land, but you they do let people run on it uh, like once a month or if you set up something. So I have not run out there yet. Um, I do know some people who have, and they describe it as sort of flat, but it's got like tall grass and, you know, some single track and whatnot. So it, it sounds like it's going to be pretty good, but The funny part is, is I'm in this training group right now with the San Antonio off-road runners, and they've been taking us to some pretty (laughs) rugged places to train. Um, We hit a place called uh, Madrone Trail, which is um, out by Canyon Lake, which is north and northeast, I think, of San Antonio. And it is a rooty, rocky mess. And I really banged myself up a few weeks ago out there and then... We went to um, Friedrich Park, which is a local park here, and it is what I call baby Bandera because it's got some pretty gnarly stuff too. And you know, as you, you know, if you've been listening for any length of time to this podcast, you know how I feel about that stuff. Don't really like it, but <laughs> it's what it's what the territory or the terrain is made up of in most of San Antonio. So you got to just sort of suck it up and deal. And then where else did they take? We went to Pedernales Falls, uh, which was really fun, except the there's like this big part that they've gotten rid of a bunch of trees. And so it was really hot. And uh, yeah, so that part wasn't much fun, but it was, a, I like running up there where I like the, we run the horse trail there and it's not quite as rocky and awful as some of the other parts of that trail. But I guess my, my hope is that, you know, training on some of this rugged terrain will make race day feel a little less awful so I'm, I'm really looking forward to to that race and then my plan is to run Wild Hair 50k again in November um, and I'm signed up for Bandera 50k in January and oh, I'm, I'm contemplating I still haven't signed on the dotted line yet but I'm contemplating 100k uh, in February at Rocky Raccoon so We'll see. I have all these great ideas, and we'll 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 see how it goes. But um, so yeah, so there you have it. Uh, a lot of stuff about fifty k, and uh, it's a great distance. And you can skip the marathon and just go straight to being an ultra runner. Um, I've got a lot of friends that have done the same thing, so um, it's okay. It's okay. So hopefully, you've enjoyed this. I mean, I I find these three entries to be pretty entertaining, just in that they are all pretty comical in, in their own way. So, um, and, and each was a very different experience. And so until next time.